Well, we, we, we match uh, without coordination. Uh, no, because now we're just in a pattern. Now yeah, we're we just have that pattern. pattern. I see you have a nice uh, new piece of jewelry. Well, it, this is yeah, actually from last. This is from uh, last year here, but yeah. Very I'm always supporting local artists here. It's like a really important thing to me. Yeah, well, again, the local commerce is everything, and obviously in that town, that that is great. Welcome to Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And uh, Speaker Pelosi is now Saint Pelosi. She was given Holy Communion today, Jen. Very important. Ah, Holy Pelosi. You know, I almost wonder if the reason that she decided that she had to do this is because uh, she's maybe she's reaching the end of her life and she thinks that uh, I better pray away my sins now, considering all of the wonderful crimes I had to commit to become a mega millionaire. Uh, the hypocrisy is suffocating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it is. You know, so I looked it up. So she's not supposed to take communion. Yeah, that's she's what I thought. Getting communion in San Francisco and in a bunch of other um, parishes, and yet she, you know, convinced them to do it in in Rome. So she was able to take it, even though her bishop won't do it. Oh God, what what does that say? Well, like, they won't give. She's not allowed to take communion because she supports a woman's right to choose. So they say, but yet she was just campaigning for an anti-choice person. So I don't know. I don't know what she believes. I think that she believes that wherever the money is, is where you can find her. And that is all that matters. And that's all that's ever mattered. And so for anybody who's questioning, you know, why, why would Pelosi do this and you know, what is her motivation? Why was she rejected? Honestly, it's, it's, it's the vanity. It's this sheer, I'm, I am superior to everybody. That's what she believes. Um, but at, at a time when you have so many more pressing things going on that she feels the need to do this publicity stunt, uh, you know, I, I I don't know what to think. It didn't quite feel like a kente cloth tales because it's not tone deaf. It's just so hypocritical and ridiculous. It's just such a it's just such a facade of yeah. just. I mean, this is someone who has no problem screwing regular people on a regular basis. This is the most anti Christ like person, and that's why I gave her a thorny crown. I thought. The irony between that and the devil on her shoulder just seemed very, um, it spoke to me. But just the fact that she thinks that she's so morally superior to everybody <laughs> because she's, you know, she's a fabulous woman. It's, um, and again, like with the clap and everything and the fact that people eat it up. I mean, I've told you about the time, you know, a friend I will not name, but is out in Tampa and, you know, was, um, wearing a button of Pelosi with the glasses on. Look. I know. Like you said, this is a, this is uh. a, this is a spectator sport and they have people that they want to root for and they want to root for Nancy. I, I just, I don't get it. Like what, there's nothing dynamic about her. She's extremely condescending. Yes, yeah, she gets around, but she gets around because she's the one raising all of the money and, and, 
where is she raising the money from? And, you know, when, um, when, uh, when a person that we're friendly with who, uh, ran for office down here, decided to host Pelosi and our Congresswoman at her house. And, you know, when Pelosi walks in and they're like, Oh, 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 she's not that, she's not that special. I'm sorry. Neither are a lot of these other people. And the way they gravitate towards uh, power is just incredible. But with everything that's going on right now um, and knowing full well how the Democratic Party is failing in such a historic way, I don't, I don't know whether they're going left or right. I mean, what do you think is going to happen right now? Uh, you know, people are really focused on this January 6th thing. And obviously, you know, this lady, Cassie Hutchinson, you know, had some damning things to say, you know, but honestly, I don't see a smoking gun where Trump is going to be thrown in jail and they're just going to be able to, you know, take him down. I mean, is there a lot of smoke? Yeah, but I, I'm not really sure where the fire is. And the way that everybody just gets so caught up in uh, the fact that they're all like blatant criminals. It just depends on to what degree we're talking about here. Well, I, I believe that it's important to have these hearings. Like, I think it's important for people to see and hear and be able to, like, you know, make determinations on their own what they believe. But uh, I don't believe there'll be any criminal charges filed against Trump. There might be people that end up being thrown under the bus, you know, or be sacrificial you know, lambs, but he's not going to get prosecuted. No administration prosecutes the previous administration because every administration is filthy in one way or another, and they don't want to set a precedent where the following administration prosecutes them. So I like this to me, it's in terms of people thinking that they're going to get him on this. I just, I don't see it. There isn't this like smoking gun of, oh yeah, Trump said, go in there and destroy the Capitol. Like that, if, if that was there, yeah, then you would have something. But you, you, yeah, like I and, said, and this isn't to say that I don't think that the district, the Southern District of New York or some other you know, jurisdiction might have not have compelling evidence against him, against him in other cases or financial matters that I don't know. But no, that I agree. January 6th thing and whether or not Biden's administration will ultimately prosecute Trump. That's just I don't see that happening. No, I definitely agree. Um, and th they should be more focused right now on whether they can govern in any capacity. You know, the one thing I wanted to mention is, um, and I hadn't been paying as much attention to it, but it's become a huge, huge story. Uh, I could probably even pull it up. Uh, there has been, you know, everyone's talking about the fact that, you know, right now we have a really serious problem with everything regarding pricing. We could talk about oil pricing. We could talk about food, uh, all the basic necessities everyone's talking about. We are in a massive inflation crisis right now. This administration is doing absolutely nothing. But the one thing that isn't really getting enough attention from a news perspective that I think really needs to be is the fact that we have a massive travel catastrophe that is happening in this country right now. And that, of course, lends to the issue of having somebody like Pete Buttigieg in charge of the Department of Transportation, somebody with zero experience who is simply being put there because we know that he's going to run for president again. It's just a question of when. 
Um, but you're failing this country in, in such a profound kind of way. And so when that happens, I get very upset because we really do need a much, you know, <laughs> we need a much better person in this position. And so when you have somebody in this case, like Bernie, who's finally coming out and saying to Buttigieg, yeah, uh, you got to do something about this. You absolutely have to step up. And so in this case, Bernie's urging the transportation secretary to require airlines to refund passengers whose flights are delayed and cover their meals and lodging when needed. So here's first question right off the bat. Why would Bernie Sanders need to be telling the head of the Department of Transportation how to do his job? Like, okay, well, can I just ask, like, is there anyone that ever believed that Pete Buttigieg was an appropriate, good appointment? Like, is there anyone that thought he'd be good at this or thought he was qualified for this? Is there anyone that really thought he was there for any other reason other than why he really is there? Hey, listen, I, I've had uh, w- when I spoke with that lady that I told you about the other day who uh, worked on the Hill for five years, uh, when I had to explain to her what a horrifically bad mayor this guy was in South Bend, it, it's like, do not compute, do not compute. No, no. He's part of the club. He's he's one of the good guys. And it's like, no, he's not. He's a Manchurian candidate. And, and, did, he tell you, and did he tell you he's gay? He's gay. We're so woke. Yeah, we're so happy. So Senator Bernie Sanders and the liberals calling on Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to protect passengers facing a deluge of problems at airports nationwide as airlines struggle to meet demand. How are airlines struggling to meet demand? Why is this a problem? Because what you're discovering here, ladies and gentlemen, is that any of those so-called benefits that supposedly were going to be helping the airline industry and all of those people that were in it. Who do you think actually benefited from it? It sure as hell wasn't the employees. It's the shareholders that get the brunt of it. And so now, because of what's happened over the past couple of years, there looks like there's going to be some massive strikes coming with a lot of these uh, airline employees. And I don't blame them. But this has already been an ongoing problem for a while. Apparently, there was massive problems going back to Memorial Day weekend, and they're still dealing with it. And now, with Fourth of July upon us this weekend, it's only getting worse. As far as I'm concerned, this is a direct repudiation, not just on Buttigieg, but on the Biden administration for putting him in this position in the first place. How in the hell do you let this happen? Listen. Let him get some experience, okay, whatever, whatever. But this guy's been at this job now for over a year and a half. He does not belong there. He is he is hurting this economy in such a way, he's unbelievably in over his head, just like Kamala is as the vice president. But this is what happens when the corporatocracy knows that they're dying and they have no way of preventing the inevitable because they can't polish a turd good enough to sell it to the American people like they used to. But don't you think this is pretty typical? I mean, we're consistently given cabinet appointments that are just tokenism and really are not necessarily the most qualified people and are just there for whatever reason they're there. I mean, let's not forget W with a good job, Brownie, as people were like, you know, drowning off of their roofs after Katrina. 
yeah, well, you know, there's it very often. I just think that they do this because they know that the American people are not going to do anything about it. They're not going to stand up. They're not going to fight back. But, you know, even now, even in this moment with Roe v. Wade being overturned and, you know, with the inflation just completely on a, a runaway path that's potentially even worse than what happened in the Carter administration. Uh, this is bad. Uh, and so as is pointed out, during the pandemic, when air travel came to a near halt, U.S. taxpayers came to the rescue and gave $54 billion to the airline industry. Okay. Uh, well, if you want me to just say what happened, uh, the top eight airlines alone received nearly $50 billion in taxpayer assistance from the federal government. Given all the generous taxpayer support that has been provided to the airline industry, all of us have a responsibility to make sure that passengers and crew members are treated with respect, not contempt. I'd like to point out that there's the DeSantis ad sitting there on the screen, like we're almost advertising for him for fundraising. Make America great again, man. Bernie Sanders would make a better Department of Transportation secretary than Mr. Booty Judge. Maybe he could judge a booty contest. Maybe that was what he was meant to do. I don't know. But I know that he does not belong in this position. And let's see if Crandon would make a better transportation secretary than Pete Booty Judge. You're not giving a lot of credit to Bernie. You've got Fetterman coming after him. You can't even do this without even getting a response from Buttigieg. He doesn't even respond to to uh, calls from uh, NBC News to give its give his take. Does this man? Surprise? This is like I I almost. I, I, you know, I almost wonder if we are heading for full-blown fascism. I really do. I, oh. I think we're heading for it. It's like we're going there. It's, it's what amazing. What you off? Was it the authoritarianism or the oligarchy? What, or was it the taking away of our civil liberties? It's just the fact that there it, – it's just the fact that if you heard – if you heard Vice President Harris's interview with Dana Bash on CNN, like that was horrific of the worst kind. I'm surprised they still put her in front of a camera. She really comes off very vapid. Well, she, she, doesn't, also doesn't, have, she doesn't even come off uh, like as if she has any sort of real knowledge or sincerity. She, well, she doesn't even know how to handle the spotlight. That's the problem with her is that she speaks very <laughs> fast, very incoherent in many instances. And so as a result of that, she doesn't know what she's doing. She looks like an amateur. And this is the vice president of the United States. This is, again, what happens when you have the lack of, you know, when you don't have a sense of urgency, like Bernie did not sense the moment from the standpoint that he needed to realize what was coming if he allowed them to just run away with this, that he completely missed the mark after Nevada when he really needed to coalesce as many people behind him as he could, and he didn't do it. And whatever those reasons were, I don't know how he couldn't have been prepared for something like what they did with Biden, that they were going to coalesce all the corporate candidates behind him and basically leave Bernie in a a, a position where he looks like the weaker of the two candidates. Because that's what it was. That's just the role he is in this whole facade of government. Maybe he is. If he's out there and not actually fighting uh, the way that he needs to, 
Well, no, he fights the way that he fights and he's gotten what he's gotten done. And I would, again, argue that that's quite a lot. So, you know, it's it's why point out things that are not one person's strengths instead of pointing out what they have done. Like, I get it. But, you know, not everybody's job is to do everything. Yeah. Well, we obviously had some elections last night. Um, We'll have, uh, we should have our guest very shortly. Uh, I will be shooting a quick text to her, make sure that she's okay. So there were a handful of elections last, last night. Uh, two primary states in particular that were important were New York and Illinois. Uh, Delia, uh, Delia Ramirez is now going to be the new congresswoman in District 3 in Illinois, non-corporate candidate. Uh, big win. Obviously, it was an open primary. The only reason it was an open primary is because a uh, friend of the show, Congresswoman Marie Newman, decided that she was going to run in Illinois' newly drawn 6th District, I believe, which was part of the district that she was in anyway. You know how it is with the whole... It just didn't go well. No. Uh, she did not uh, fare very well. She lost to Sean Kasten, and it was not a close for, uh, race. Um, but you know what? She was principled. She didn't get in bed with corporate special interests as a result. And uh, this woman, uh, Delia Ramirez, seems to be a really good replacement, which is great. And, you know, maybe uh, there'll be an opportunity for Marie down the road. We certainly hope so. And, you know, we need better representation, obviously, everywhere. And then in New York, you know, again, same old story. Uh, Kathy Hockle does win the nomination uh, to be the next governor of New York. She very likely will be. Thank God Rudy Giuliani's son did not get the nomination of the joke. What a joke. What a joke. Uh, remember, remember Andrew, Andrew Giuliani? <laughs> what, um, what happened in uh, the district that is uh, the lower side of Manhattan? So it's very interesting. Um, only the assembly elections were taking place. The state Senate was not taking place. That's going to be later. Uh, But when it comes to the state assembly races, a lot of progressives did win. And again, to me, that just speaks to the fact that if you want to have this systemic change, it starts at the grassroots level. That's where you're going to have it. You're not going to have it if you think that just trying to topple the big fish at the top is going to work, which is why Jamani Williams and Anna uh, Maria, um, I don't want to botch her last name. Um, Let me just make sure I say it right. I also wanted to tell you something. So I got a text today. Archilla. Archilla? I guess that's how you say it. Yeah, but they got a crush. But they got, well, you know, they they got soundly beat. All right. I had a text today from William Sanchez, who's a civil rights attorney running for U.S. Senate. So this is somebody running as a Democrat against Val Demings. Did you ever hear of this guy? I just got a te- like a you know text uh, bank thing today. No, but so he's still in the so he's still in the primary. Yeah, this is the primary. It's again, um, best of luck, but you know you're wasting time and you're wasting money. So people, I would say that to I would say that across the Democratic Party in Florida in general. Yeah, you're really wasting your time and your money right now. You have to you have to get smarter about this. And so something very uh, interesting. So I I don't know what's going on with our guests. We'll see if, uh, you know, something may have come up because we all know that it's been a tough 
it's been a tough day. We've got next week lined up, though. I'll, I'll get that up a little bit later. We've got uh, we got a lot of good guests coming. We're not going to be live on Monday because it is Fourth of July, but we will be live on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, and we have a number of really good guests lined up. Uh, the big one is going to be uh, we will have a, a state senator, Gustavo Rivera. He will be coming back to the show, uh, which will be great uh, to talk about what's going on in New York, dissect a lot of the elections. And the Vanguard guys are going to be coming on. And that'll be on Tuesday. <laughs> on Wednesday, we will have state senator candidate, no Mickey Const. And I think we'll have one other guest as well. So, yeah. Uh, so that's where we're at. And our wonderful guest has arrived. I don't see her yet. I see her screen has popped up, but hopefully she'll be ready to go in a minute. I need to make this share higher. Yeah. I feel like, like this was sort of you telling me what's coming up, like a whole like calendar session information that I didn't even know. It's like a mystery. John, Mich- John Nichols. Uh, it's like a mystery guest thing. Don't, hey, don't even tell me who's coming on. Just tell me what time, and it'll be like a mystery meet situation. Well, I can tell you that Tuesday will be an afternoon show. That I can assure you. That has to be an afternoon show, and not just for the Vanguard guys, but for Senator Rivera as well. So without further ado, we are very pleased for the first time to have one of our absolute favorites here in South Florida. She is a former city commissioner for the absolutely, maybe not for much longer, lovely town of Surfside. Yes, that's Surfside in South Florida. And she is somebody who is also a tremendous activist within the community and has a lot to share with us one year later after the terrible tragedy, the Champlain Towers collapse. Ileana Salzor, welcome to Generational Change. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, Absolutely. Good to see you. How are you? Good. I'm not really a podcast person. This is like I just try to figure out how podcasts work. So Oh, well, you're <laughs> you're you're on one. You're you're live on our show. So welcome. I'm glad to see you. Uh, and I know that this is a difficult subject. It's difficult because we all know a year ago that a building in your district like collapsed into the ocean. Yeah. And there has been a lot of fingers pointed and a lot of things going around as to what caused that. And I don't think people realize, one, that we're really not going to ever get to the bottom of that. And you're going to explain why we're not going to really ever get to the bottom of that. But that this is just one building of many that are going to have these problems. Yeah, well, it's not just in my district. We're a tiny town of eight blocks. So it's a couple of blocks away from where I live. And everyone, it's a small community. Everyone knows everyone. So everyone was touched by this. Everyone lost someone. I don't think people even realize until afterwards where people lived, you know, because it's such a close community. But uh, it's been, it was obviously a shock and it's been a challenging year. It's been more frustrating, you know, to find out that we're not going to get the resolutions that we had been hoping for. And it's very frustrating to watch people make a lot of money off this tragedy. So why and why are we not going to get like, why is there not going to be any sort of recourse for this? Well, I think from the very beginning, um, the judge in general was very was remember the civil system is just focused on getting people money, getting compensation. That's the way that they look at something. They say, we're going to make you whole by getting you money. But for a lot of people, it wasn't about the money. They want answers. They want to know what happened to their loved one. Uh, they want someone responsible, that, but that's not the role there. So they were fast tracking this from day one and the judge decided it was never going to be a memorial. It was going to get sold. And a lot of victims, families were like, but, but we want a memorial. And it was taken, that was taken away from them. It was very frustrating. And that ship sort of sailed and it, it was just nonstop how, it, you know, the, the South Florida development machine stops for no one. It doesn't stop for 
98 people dying, it doesn't stop for anything. Um, and so they, you know, that's pretty much the one track thing. Uh, they managed to negotiate a very, very large settlement. They, they used some of the stuff to leverage. Remember, there were property owners and then there were people that lost loved ones. The judge lumped them all in the same category, but they never had sort of the same interest. So there was some fighting in between. Uh, the property owners were ultimately paid pennies on the dollar for their apartments because there was this a law that they didn't know about that they could sue each other for the condo board's potential negligence. And so they were told either take this or you may get nothing. And so they were sort of forced into that settlement. And then there was the billion dollar settlement, which goes to those who lost loved ones. And that money is going to hopefully trickle down to them. But of course, the pro bono attorneys decided to submit a hundred million dollar bill for their services, which to me is outrageous. Um, the judge from the very beginning said, oh, they're all pro bono. And I, I said bullshit from day one. And the judge yelled at me and said, oh, no, these are volunteer. Oh, it's going to be pro bono. Long story short, of course, they're making a ton of money. There are more lawyers working on this than there were victims. You see the email thread, the names of the lawyers that are CC'd on it is like 20 pages long before you get to the email. And all of them are looking to get a piece of this. So, you know, it's, it's sad. It's sad because I don't think that an attorney should get a third vacation home before a victim is made whole. I think that people that lost their apartments should be getting the right amount of compensation before some of these fat cats get more money. And listen, did they work? Yes. But this didn't even see the inside of a courtroom. This was this was probably a, a solid year of just negotiating, like, you know, posturing, maybe bullying, whatever went on there. But this was not, uh, you know, this wasn't 10 years of effort. This wasn't a trial by any means. I don't, I can't see why it's okay. And they're all congratulating themselves. I mean, the other... Last week, I guess it was last week or the week before, when they had the the Zoom hearing, they're all patting each other on the back like they're heroes that they that they got money here. What we need is answers. Why did the building collapse? We need we need to know because we want this to never happen again, right? Yeah, there's no accountability. There's no so, there's no accountability, and right. and I guarantee you that when they get this money, there's going to be a they're not going to say that they're responsible, and there's probably going to be non disclosures in there up the wazoo. So all of this information, you know, obviously nobody pays $400 million or $500 million unless somebody's got something on them really good, right? And so obviously there was some sort of piece of information that came out there that was enough to make them realize, okay, we'll settle. We'll give you the money. Just go away. Uh, and that's what's happened. But the truth is that we need to know what happened. We need to know so that, you know, so again, so it doesn't happen again, but I don't think we're ever going to get those answers. What about, I mean, what about the idea of criminal, like, to me, there needs to be an investigation into this because there could be criminal liability. We're not just I, I agree. About- Listen, I've been surprised that nobody has called me. Nobody subpoenaed me. No one wants to talk to me. I mean, I was on the inside of this. I feel like a lot of people are walking away without any culpability at all. I think that, you know, we had, again, I was not a commissioner then, but we had a town of employee, the building department guy that, you know, the the people in Champlain had reached out to him saying, hey, we have this report on our building. They're freaking out. Can you come make us make them feel better? Whatever it was. He went to the meeting and told them everything's fine. Your building's fine. OK, so I really feel like that guy should be brought in for some questioning. I feel like we should get to the bottom of the, you know, what did he know? What didn't he know? What could have been done differently? It's, it's unfortunate that all these people are going to kind of move on with their lives. 
when people lost their lives, right? 98 people like lost their lives and their relatives are never going to be the same again. And some people here that should have been held at least for questioning or accountable in some way are going to walk away. You know, Miami Beach, for example, they gave away 87 carats. They gave away that street to the developer in exchange for some donation to the park, right? They they bear some responsibility here for, for doing that because there was an entire block that was sort of the safety zone between 87, between, you know, the, the giant building in Miami Beach, between 87 Park and Champlain. That was a safety zone. That was given away. When they gave it to the developer, the people that built 87 Park, they were able to get much closer to Champlain than they would ever have been able to get had that street been left intact. So somebody needs to look at that and say, wow, how did that happen? Why did they give that away? How do we not make sure this doesn't happen in the future, right? And that always, history repeats itself unless people are held accountable. And even then it happens again, right? I'm speaking with Ileana Salazar, former commissioner of Surfside, Florida. Uh, You know, when Jen was running for Congress and we first met, I still will never forget that commission meeting that we were at together because you were up there basically telling people, uh, you do understand that this erosion from all of the sea level rise is going to cause these buildings to collapse. And they're right. just sitting there literally with a thumb up their rear end thinking, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. No, yeah. it is a big deal. It's not like, you know, very often we see a lot of these problems, for example, what just happened with Roe v. Wade. This doesn't just come out of nowhere. This is something that gets built up over time, over time, and no one does anything about it until it's too late. And right. so here we are, something that could have definitely been prevented or at least could have been mitigated with having building inspections and all of that. So let's just say they want to throw this under the bus. There are a lot of older buildings that are also in Surfside, also in Aventura, also in Hallandale and Hollywood. What is being done, if anything, to prevent other tragedies from happening? Right. Well, what's happening here, it's sorry, it's what's happening here is that they're using this tragedy sort of as an excuse to speed up more development. So the only thing that's come out of this tragedy is that they're now going up to buildings and going, oh, your building's in bad shape. You got to get out, which the developers are sitting around going, oh, another piece of property for us to redevelop. And the people that live in that building normally can't afford to fix what's wrong with it. And so they're able to get bought out for pennies on the dollar. Some of them are forced out. They don't even want to be they don't want to be leaving. But if they get enough of the condo board members to, to take whatever they're offering, then that's it. That's the way it works. And they and and so these buildings get redeveloped. The little guy is is getting completely squeezed out of here because those people that then get evicted from that property can never afford to buy back into that beachfront lifestyle because the new buildings that are going up, they'll take a 200, let's say there's a building that has 150 apartments. It gets replaced by a luxury building that has 20 apartments, right? That start at five, $10 million. So the days when, when normal people could afford to live on the water, like, you know, everyone had a grandparent, right? That lived somewhere. That's never going to happen again. In Surfside, we're seeing that. We're seeing buildings that used to have 70, 100 apartments getting replaced by apartments that have, but buildings that have 20 units, 30 units maybe. And and these are people that are just parking their money here. They're not really members of the community, right? Or they have so much money that they're not, this is like their vacation home. And it changes the fabric of the community. When you have people that move here that are not necessarily participating in the town, their kids are not going to the public school. They're not shopping in the stores. It takes away from the, the fabric of the community and it changes a town. And that's what's happening here in Surfside. 
Um, and it's it's sort of and it's happening all over Miami. You know, as these buildings get people get evicted for their safety, right, for safety reasons, they get bought out and redeveloped. We are in a situation right now where obviously we supported you and Tina Paul in particular when you ran for re-election for Commissioner Surfside. It did not work out. The elections were close, but unfortunately there is new leadership that has taken over the community. Could you please give us an update of what these uh, wonderful uh, corporate supported uh, representatives at the city council level have been up to over the past, I guess it's uh, it, it's uh, how many months now? It's been. It, uh, I, it's yeah, uh, it's only been three months. And when I tell you that they have done so much damage in that three months, I can't I think I don't think anybody thought that there could be this much damage done in so short of a period of time. And residents are, are very upset because some of these changes can never be undone. The damage can't be undone. And, you know, this town is very small. And I think people voted based on, they thought it was maybe a high school popularity contest, or I don't know what criteria they used. They certainly didn't look into the issues because some people here that ran, you know, they, they put on a good show about what they were going to do. And then it turns out once they get elected that they've got a whole agenda that they're going to push through and they don't care about resident input at all. So one of the first things they did was add a third story to homes in Surfside and they, if they we have a charter that says you can only have two stories. So they decided that we're adding a story, but we're going to call it an understory. So it's not a story. So we don't have to have a vote because it's not a story. It's an understory. And this is ridiculous. You know, in small towns, you can get away with whatever until somebody stops you. Right. Somebody has to stop them. They'll get away with whatever they can. So they've already added this third story. One of the commissioners who's actually the vice mayor is the biggest developer in town. He is a residential developer. He, you know, and he he promised people during the election that he was not going to vote on zoning because people asked him, you have a conflict of interest. And he assured them that he would recuse himself on zoning and that there were many other issues that he was interested in. He gets elected. And of course, the first thing he does is not just vote on zoning, but propose zoning. He was not just voting on the motions. He was making the motions to generate more business, another floor for his clients and to deliver these favors. So all we've seen so far is he added the third story. He's now got a proposal to expand the footprint of homes from 40% to 50% of the lot, okay? All of these things to, again, increase business. Another thing they've done is that in Surfside, we've always had 10-foot docks for 90 years, 10-foot docks. Well, guess what? One of this guy's clients wants a big dock behind her house because she says the whole family are boaters. She wants to have room for, for her to put her boat and for her brother to come visit with his boat and it's her daughter to get a boat. She wants everyone to have a boat. She wants a marina behind her house. So just to deliver a favor to this one client, they're upending all of Surfside's dock ordinances. And we were sitting in the meeting and they literally wanted to go to 60 to 100 feet out. Like it, I'm telling you, it was, I thought it was in the twilight zone. Being at these commission meetings feels like you've gone to an Alice in Wonderland universe where people are just, you know, it, it's insane. So that motion about the docks, they, the guy who was making the motion wanted to just do the favor and give her her 35 feet that she wanted. And of course, the mayor and the vice mayor co-opted it and tried to get 60 to 100 feet. It's a disaster. So now, when at first reading, they got it back to 35 to 45 feet, 500 square feet on the water, and you can flip the part that's the finger dock with the platform. It's, it's just a complete disaster. So it's this 
It's a privatization of public waterways. And that spot, once it's taken up by a dock, can never be undone. So even if we get them out of office, and I and let's say I get back in office or somebody else gets back in office and we change it and we say we're going back to the 10-foot docks, whatever is built gets to stay as a legally non-compliant structure. So until it gets destroyed by a hurricane, she gets to keep her 35 or 50 foot or 100 foot dock, whatever she puts out there, she gets to keep. And, you know, the special favors for clients and friends is, you know, it's nothing new in Florida politics, but it's new in Surfside. And we have we have not seen that in quite some time. And that's upsetting. It sounds so, very it sounds very much like pay to play. Um, oh, and I think there's yeah. definite grounds uh, there. You know, Jen, you're the lawyer. So, I mean, as far as I can tell. It sounds like there is a legitimate case here that could be, I mean, my God, they didn't even wait. I mean, they just got right in and they're like, oh, oh let's have a party. And yeah. oh, they're having it all right. Yeah, and you know, exactly, for exactly what Eliana just said, as much as they can get done before anything changes, they'll get grandfathered in. So they're right. going to try to do, it's really, it's like a microcosm of what's happening on the national level with like our civil liberties. <laughs> like yeah. they're getting as much done as they can and some of it may get reversed at some point in the future, but some of it'll stick. Yeah. Some of it's going to, and that's why they're rushing. Yeah, and exactly. Because, and and they don't care about the, this is the thing, they don't care about the consequences because, you know, the mayor actually told me he does not care what residents think. He was elected to do what he wants. And that's the democratic way is that we need to, we elected him and we should butt out. And I'm going, that's not the way it this works. Is, you know? this, is, and, this, is, this is Shlomo talking? This is Shlomo. And for a guy that, when he first got elected, he said, you know what, we want to try to stay out of the news. The first thing he did was announce that he was a mayor on LinkedIn, hashtag Ron DeSantis all over the place, started giving interviews. I mean, the guy just came out like, like you know, like, like, a, like a character out of a comic book, the way he's grown into this. And then we, you know, resident... We have so much drama. I don't even know where to start. We could do hours on this. But it's okay. June, um, June is Pride Month, right? And every normal community flies the pride flag. It's not a big deal. We flew one last year. So this year, residents said, hey, you're going to fly the pride flag. No. The answer is no. And then literally they're using the Supreme Court decision that is completely misinterpreting it to say that if they fly the pride flag, that means they have to fly Nazi flags and Satan flags and everything else. And so they're not going to do it. And residents have been feel so invalidated because that is, first of all, it's not right. That's not the correct law. It's completely misconstruing it, misinterpreting it. I feel like our lawyers are deliberately misleading that process, right, which is a problem. Um, and then they're just using it to justify the fact that they don't want to fly it. Why? Because their base, as we know, Shlomo has a base. He has an agenda. And the base is to them. The pride flag may as well be a Nazi flag, right? Yeah, That's I was going to say, this is a group of people that are taking over that area that LGBTQ is just not their thing. Right. There's no, there's it's no place. Yeah. You know, in fact, I have a, a very nice little garden flag. That's the pride flag that says everybody is welcome here. And it got stolen twice last week. Twice. And, and guess when it got stolen? Just when, you know, on, on Saturday night when everyone's walking by my house. I just, and these are kids probably, but where are they learning this stuff from, right? They're probably learning it at home. But that someone would find a pride flag that says everyone is welcome here threatening just tells you about where we're at in America and where we're at, unfortunately, in Surfside. Um, but let me get to the best part. So we had a big pride flag rally yesterday. The commissioners were like, oh, yeah, we want to we we fly the flag. Nothing happened. 
nothing happened. Now we're running out the clock. No one can't, you know, they're not going to do anything. They're not going to do it. And then we had a beach chair meeting last night, which was a, that turned into a disaster. We got a beach chair ordinance. Me and Tina Paul worked on this amazing beach chair ordinance when we got elected to get rid of the beach chair clutter, to get rid of the privatization of these preset chairs. And our beach has been spectacular. I don't know if anyone's been here recently, but our beach is amazing. So this new commission gets elected and the vice mayor has it on his agenda to do and Cuomo to do all the favors for the hotels. And the hotels have been complaining they want more chairs. So he goes, oh, we're going to have a meeting to tweak the ordinance. So last night's tweaking was basically the undoing completely of the ordinance. So we had a limit of five preset chairs. He just expanded it to 20 chairs per 100 feet, which means that a, a small hotel will have 40 preset chairs. And the surf club, which has a large piece of property, gets 180 preset chairs. Okay, 180. And they expanded the preset hours from from sunrise to sunset. So now at sunrise, they're going to have their employees go out there and put all these chairs out there, whether it's 40 or 180, before you and I or the public can even get to the beach. Now, our beach is public. And so this pre-setting of chairs is the de facto privatization of public land. Because once these chairs are out there, when you and I get to the beach, there's no place for us to go. There is no place for us to put your towel to sit down with your family because it's been taken up by the hotel guests or by the condo guests, the Four Seasons guests, all of these people that think it's their beach and it's not their beach. And on top of that, they also brought back electric vehicles to drive, okay, on the hard pack, which is going to be a safety concern. Unlimited chairs. We had a limit of chairs. We already had 1,500 chairs on the beach. Apparently, that's not enough. Now it's unlimited chairs. Um, and also they expanded staging areas. So there's going to be stacks of chairs now every 100 feet. Um, with staff and everything, this guy, the vice mayor, tried to get, he wanted to get more things on the beach. He wanted to also have the beach um, or the beach um, permits extended from one year to three to five years because he knows that when it gets voted out, we're going to change everything. So he was trying to secure these three to five year permits for his buddies at these hotels, right? So that even if he's ousted, that would outlast him. And thankfully, that was the only item that didn't get pushed forward. But this this is a disaster. And that was the discussion level. So next month, if it comes a first reading ordinance, we really need we need all of Miami to show up. We need literally to spread the word so that everyone stands up and says, you can't do this. This is our beach, too, because if we don't stand up for the beach, it'll be gone. It'll be gone. It won't be, our, our beaches will be just as trashy as Miami Beach, just as trashy as everything else. And the next thing that this guy wants is food service on the beach. That's his next thing. Oh, talk about litter problems. You know, yeah. we get to the point now where um, the odyssey that so many people have experienced beginning getting into politics over the last several years is everyone, especially on the Democratic side of politics, have this horrific tendency to always focus on the top. Everything happens at the local level. And if you are not in control of what happens in your own backyard, you're not in control of anything. Uh, Ileana, we cannot thank you enough for coming on this evening. I know you're on a tight schedule and you have another meeting that you have to attend. Um, but this is a very important conversation. We definitely want to continue it. What is happening in Surfside is happening everywhere. It just so happens that this is a town that has been on a lot of people's minds for a long time. And one has to wonder that when you take away the spotlight after what had happened with that tragedy a year ago, 
the vultures that swoop in when they see the dollar signs are the ones who ultimately end up plotting their tents down and they don't leave until yeah. it's too late. So we have to continue to fight this fight. Keep us posted on all that is going on. Yeah, well, listen, I just, I just want to say that this private is, what happened is that these developers, they ran out of private land to develop. And so they're going after our public spaces now. Yeah. You know, yeah. they've, they've, they've maxed out on private land that they can buy. So they're set their sights on the beach, on the waterways. And what's getting squeezed out is regular people. The public is getting squeezed out by these very powerful, very uh, well-funded developers. And if we don't stand up for our rights, if residents, if every person doesn't stand up to say we're not going to take that, it's going to be too late. Yeah. Thank you so much, Eliana. And, and this sucks for you. I mean, it's something yeah. that a lot of people have been dealing with in Florida for years. You're kind of late to this party. Um, but I know that it sucks. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you sharing this. And uh, anytime you want to relocate to higher ground, Peter is doing real estate now. I know. He's been, he's been telling me that. Let me say, Surfside is such an amazing, special, amazing, wonderful place. And it it's, is. To watch it get cannibalized yeah. like this is heartbreaking. And it's, it's happening so and it's happening so fast. Yeah. And listen, as long as I'm here, I'm gonna fight for this community. But at some point, you know, people have to stand up for themselves. That's but right. We're, we're not gonna give it up. We're not gonna give it up because you know, we have something really special here. That's why they want it. So it was our favorite place to canvas when we came uh, during election season. It's it was such a it was the perfect sleepy beach town that everyone would have been so fortunate to have seen. And it's and, and just in the short period since 2020, it has become so overdeveloped and corporatized. If you don't think that corporate special interest money in politics makes a big difference, check out Surfside Florida and you'll get exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, thanks, Liana, for, thanks for having me, guys. And I'm, I'm happy to keep talking to you some other time. Absolutely. Thank Have you, a great buddy. evening. We'll be Bye -bye. in touch. Bye-bye. What yeah. a what a great local activist, a great person. And when you have somebody like that who can get into elected office, that's when you know things get done. But what ultimately ends up happening when somebody like Ileana gets elected, that's when the corporate you know mongers get in there and they're like, oh, we got to get this lady out. We can't have this. She's not doing business with us. So what do they do? They go find some, you know, Johnny come lately numbnuts who lives in town. Oh, you'll be good. You know, let's prop you up. Let's turn on. We will have our local George W. Bush become a, an elected official. That's basically what they do. Well, but this is how development works in places that are overdeveloped like this, because you get to the point where you run out of areas to develop and any logical, reasonable um, governing body that was looking out for the best interest of its citizens would actually put a moratorium on development, unnecessary development when you've run out of land where it's like the infrastructure can handle it. But no, what happens is these developers either get themselves or their friends onto commission positions, and then they just change all the ordinances and zoning so that there's no rules or regulation. And now what we're going to see is we're going to see Surfside turn into another Sunny Isles. Oh, yeah. And well, I mean, I'm not going to go there just yet because Sunny Isles is if you guys want to see the worst kind of overdevelopment, it isn't just that there is nowhere to build. It's that, and, and listen, I am part Russian. Uh, here's what I can tell you guys about parts of my culture. It is very gauche. It is very over the top. And if you haven't seen Surfside, they build towers to the sky. Sunny Isles. Sunny Isles. What did I say? Surfside. 
I did say Sunny. Okay, oh, so that was the Freudian slip. So anybody who doesn't know, Sunny Isles is a part of uh, the beach area that is it's now. North being- Mi- it's basically North Miami Beach, is what it is. And it is, but it's now being referred to as like Little Moscow. But uh, well, that's uh, that's Sunny Isles for sure, absolutely. Yeah. And and it's uh, you know again, it, it is terrible. And the reason they get away with this is because local residents are not involved at the extent that somebody like Ileana is involved. Uh, we have spoken at length, uh, Ileana and I, and Jen and I obviously have mentioned on the show, we have a great local activist in Hollywood named Kat Uden, who has done a fantastic job of cultivating a lot of people to stop overdevelopment on Hollywood Beach. They're trying to build, as Ileana was pointing out, these they want these luxury high-rise condo complexes. That's what they want because they're multi-million dollar properties each. That's what they want to sell, especially on beachfront property. And what they're trying to do is remove the Hollywood Beach Community Center. Yeah, the community center in order to do this because they've got nowhere else to build. We are so overdeveloped down here that they have to try to find one of the good places in the town. But why, Jen? Why would they want to knock down the community center? What would be the reason that they would want to knock that down? Because it doesn't produce any revenue. So as soon as that happens, it's like, oh, well, let's figure out where we can dig a, you know, dig out more property so we can turn it into a cash cow. This- but that is what she was saying about they're taking now they're looking at public areas because they've run out of private land to develop. So now they're taking areas that are public land. You have dilapidated properties that are everywhere. I mean, they really are everywhere. And there is a lot that could be done with building restoration and things like that. But that would require you to actually make an investment. What they're looking for is the quickest way to make a buck. And so in the case of, uh, as some people pointed out in the chat, it's true. These attorneys don't know what the word pro bono means, apparently. Now, what they know is that they see the dollar signs and they want to swoop in and get as much of what they can get their hands on while they can get it. And that has been the, the if we had well-regulated capitalism like they have in other parts of the world, we would not have this problem. We do not have an equal splice of capitalism and socialism, which is what we need. And until we have that, the system is going to continue to destroy itself until it is completely destroyed. And if you come down here to South Florida, you will see that that's a huge part of the problem. It's been a huge part of the problem with having somebody like Wasserman Schultz as a congresswoman. It's been a huge part of the problem with a number of members of the county commission, city commissions in a number of areas. And ironically enough, and we talk about this a lot, you know where it's not overdeveloped, ladies and gentlemen, in areas where it's red. Hate to say it, but the two most red areas overall in Broward County are Davie and Southwest Ranches. And those are the two places where overdevelopment does not exist. And they don't allow it to exist. Because the Reds, they're really, they put their foot down. Conservatives put their foot down about not having overdevelopment. Now, of course, as I'm sure you would agree, a big reason for that is because they really care about the value of their property and they don't want to see overdevelopment. And even though in some ways that may benefit them, but a lot of people like their space too. I, well, in Davie and Southwest Ranches, people really do appreciate their rural, more, you know, country lifestyle. Uh, but the, the overdevelopment problem is the way I see it is it's a lot of people wanting to make a quick buck over the next few years and get out while they can before it's underwater because 
you know, we're looking at a situation where people that are going to be buying those older condo spaces, tearing them down and building new, whatever they build, the people that are foolish enough to buy into that will never get their money back out again. And that's the thing. And, and those people don't realize it. They're just going to be scammed by, by developers. Yeah. And that's the, and that is the unfortunate part of it. And, you know, Ileana has a lot, you know, to wrestle with, um, you know, because it's a town that she wants to fight for, but it's also a town that doesn't really want to fight because a lot of people have left. A lot of people, because Surfside is a, uh, it's a very wealthy community. Uh, people really want to be there. And the people that have been there for a long time have had the opportunity to cash out. And that's what ends up happening. Well, and we, we didn't talk about this because this is sort of like the sensitive subject about the whole thing. But there's a certain religious element going on in Surfside, too, that is, I believe, there is an interconnect between what is happening with the overdevelopment and hand in hand with what is going on there with the religion taking over little town. So I, I think that they're not disconnected. I think that's also connected to the anti LGBT sentiment, LGBTQ sentiment. So they're having an influx of a religious situation in Surfside and it's changing yeah. the demographic and the dynamic of that town significantly. And so when you talk about red spaces are being better, but this is technically a red space now. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And they are very big about development and their friends. It's just a different kind of red. I don't well, know. Well, yeah, no, I agree. They're not people that want to live out in the countryside, but there's a reason for that, ladies and gentlemen. Why is that? Because it turns out that the demographic of Surfside is all Jewish. And so they are not known to be living out in country Bumpkinville, as they would probably put it, uh, amongst it's the It's not Protestant. just Jewish. It's not just Jewish. No, but that's a okay. huge part of the population in Surfside. No. Uh, what I'm saying is you're saying it that it's just Jewish population. No, it's a Hasidic. No, Orthodox. it is an Orthodox yeah. and Hasidic yeah. and Chabad and very, you know. Well, could you Hebrew. share with the audience the distinct difference between like it's almost like trying to explain to people that when it comes to the Muslim community, there is a distinction between Sunni Muslim and Shiite Muslim. And a lot of people just want to group them all together, just like there's a difference between Protestants and Catholics or even Reformed Christians. Uh, there, there are differences within the Jewish community. OK, so to give people any perspective, um, it would sort of be like. The, the Jews that live in Surfside are to secular kind of Jews, like the Amish are to secular Christians. <laughs> like it's, they're just, it's a very, very um, radical position on the religion spectrum, if you will. And so they tend to be red because they tend to vote regarding Israel. So they tend to vote Republican because they vote based on Israel. And so you're seeing a shift in local politics as a result of this sort of shift in the demographics in that area. That's my assessment. We have one more topic that I want to cover um, before we go. Roger Meadows, awesome supporter of the show. Thank Thanks, you so much Roger. for dropping by. Correction about the New York Health Act from Monday. No residency requirement needed. All you have to do is work here where you pay taxes into the system. New York touches Massachusetts, Vermont, Connecticut, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, them and other families are covered. That is great news, Roger. I've got even better news for you for stopping by this evening. On Tuesday at 12 noon, because we do have to do it early on Tuesday, uh, State Senator Gustavo Rivera, 
who wrote the New York Health Act, will be here for a return appearance. We will obviously be breaking down a couple of things, uh, the first of which, of course, is obviously the gubernatorial and state assembly races in New York State, and obviously what that currently means, along with the state Senate races that are coming up, which frankly are the more important races uh, regarding the New York Health Act. And where that's going to stand, is Kathy Hockel going to ultimately you know, be part of this in some capacity. Uh, You know, she would be and likely will be the first officially elected uh, Madam Governor of the state of New York. Uh, That would obviously be huge. Uh, But again, I don't really care. I just care how she governs. That's what's more important. So that will be um, a huge topic of discussion on Tuesday, as will our conversation with the Vanguard guys. They will be joining us. Uh, One final discussion that we have to have tonight before we go. Um, in the state of Michigan, the state Supreme Court is a 4-3 Democratic majority. And today, they decided to drop all charges against former GOP Governor Rick Snyder and his cronies for the crimes against humanity that they committed in Flint, Michigan. So for those of you who are still wondering whether it matters which party you vote for. No, vote blue thing. (laughs) Vote blue. Oh, but the judges. Oh, but the justices. Oh, but all of this. And it's like, it's not, that's not so simple. Well, if you want to know who the most privileged people are in the political arena, they're typically the ones who scream the loudest vote blue no matter who. And why do they do that? Well, the biggest reason they do it is because they live very comfortable lives and they do not want to be involved in politics. When you think about all of the people that would put resistance in their social media profiles, you know, very often the reason they were doing it is they were never really involved in politics before. Maybe they got involved in some capacity when they were young, but now all of a sudden they felt an obligation, if you will, to be more thoroughly involved in politics because now they're afraid and now they think Trump's going to ruin everything and Kind of like that sign that we thought was a joke, but really wasn't when at the pink hat wearing march in D.C. uh, after Trump was inaugurated saying if Hillary was elected, we'd all be at brunch right now. You think that's a joke? No, that's where they would be. They would rather be at brunch. They don't want to do this. They want you to shut up, listen, do a Pelosi, Wasserman Schultz, Hoyer, Schumer. Listen to what they say because they know what's good for you. And if you dare question them, you're a bigot. Sexist, racist, misogynist, all of it. You're all of it. You suck. Vote blue. Because that's what's true. That's what you wanted to, that's what you really wanted to talk about, about that Michigan and their Democratic. I'm not surprised that they let him off. I'm not I was going to say, like, did you somehow think that because they're, again, this is what I was just saying about on the national level. Administrations, government executive branch administrations, are not going to prosecute the previous governor or you know executive administration. They're not going to do it because they don't want the next one to punish them for all the crap they're committing. And that is the way it is. So to expect the current executive person to go after the previous one, it's just not going to happen. I love how Mr. I am so desperate for the camera every chance I can get Beto O'Rourke, uh, excuse me, Robert Francis O'Rourke, uh, and was ultimately given the business 
by a bunch of, and, and I don't know, Mario, where this rally took place, but O'Rourke was trying to get to the front of this Roe v. Wade rally, and they spotted him, and they were like, "Vote, voting blue is not enough. Democrats, we call your bluff, and they were throwing it right at him. He looked like a total moron. He couldn't get out of his own way, and listen, Mr. O'Rourke, from what I understand, is a very nice guy. He's not a jerk. He's not one of those over-the-top politicians. Yeah, he wants to beat Governor Abbott, and obviously we support him in that endeavor. But at the end of the day, the things you do come off so gratuitous, so phony, like you're not really doing it for reasons other than your own personal ambition. And I'm sure you care. I don't think Robert doesn't care. But if you're just going to stand there with like a deer in headlights when they say voting blue is not enough, Democrats, we call your bluff. That's very catchy. And they keep repeating it. And you're just like, oh, I don't know what to do. Well, then what kind of a governor are you when you don't know how to in that moment say, you know what? You're right. Voting blue is not enough. And here's what you need to do. I didn't hear him say anything. Uh, Alex, for sure. We would rather have Beto than Abbott. Abbott's disgusting. I never liked him. He, I remember voting against him when he ran for attorney general when I was living there. Um, but Beto is also, I, I just don't think he's the best candidate. Honestly, you know who should really have been running for governor? It should have been one of the Castro brothers, one of your former uh, law firm colleagues, if you will. I yeah. think I think I think if Julian had run for governor, he might have had a real shot at it. But O'Rourke is also the fact that he calls himself Beto and he's not an ounce Latino. It's so people hate that stuff. They yeah, hate do. it. Yeah, and, we do. And so, you know, whether but again, neither Julian or Joaquin want to give up their congressional seat. And so that's why they don't do it because they know that the odds of beating Abbott are slim to none because, you know, it takes time. You know, we have our lovely, lovely friend, Jasmine Crockett, who's on her way to Congress, you know, that, and, and that's great, but you're going to need to pick off more and more of these seats. The other problem, of course, in Texas is that while there are federal regulations regarding campaign contributions outside of super PACs, there are no contribution limits for state races. Isn't it wonderful what the GOP does in the worst parts of the country, even though Texas is a great state, but that is a problem, huge problem. And building that local infrastructure takes time. And if you live in a place like Surfside, Florida, where people just don't really care, you know, and TM, I do agree. I definitely agree that if McConaughey, you see, here's the thing. I think if um, there's so many terrible things that have happened recently, but I really do believe that if the tragedy that had happened in um, in Uvalde had happened prior to the to the deadline, I think McConaughey would have gotten in. I think he would have run. I think it was a, just a question of timing, and it didn't work out. The Uvalde massacre happened after uh, the deadline, and unfortunately, here we are. You know, we're we're not where we want to be, but I agree. And Alex, I, I don't necessarily agree with the notion that, you know, people are going to be radicalized now because Roe v. Wade is gone. I, I don't believe that. I think that there's people that are motivated 
And then there are people who are not motivated. The only time people truly will get going the way they need to is when the economics really start to hurt them badly. When it really starts to hit you in the wallet, like it is for a lot of people. But again, who's really getting hit in the wallet right now? Working class people are getting hit. And you know who's talking to working class people? The GOP is, not the Democrats. And they'll go vote for them. And you could call them a bigot and a sexist and a racist and a misogynist. Now until the cows come home, you could vote shame them into oblivion. It won't freaking matter. They're going to vote where they think somebody might do something for them. And when the gallon of gas is $6, they're not going to listen to a goddamn thing the Democrats say because they're in power and they're not doing anything. I wouldn't listen to them. We got our dumbass congresswoman here going out trying to register voters. That's what she's doing. Doing a token little uh, canvassing expedition through the very comfortable neighborhoods in West Broward. Try to get more people to register as Democrats. Yeah, that's going to solve the freaking problem. Well, they love this whole this whole violation of our civil liberties. They love this. And I I have been hearing other people talking at least about their the Democrats proclivity for fundraising on these things, which is why they don't really ever want to do anything to solve the problem of our civil liberties. But, you know, this is just their typical grandstanding. And they know that they're toast in November. Like they I think they know it. And this is like them grasping for every last dollar they can get before that happens. Yes, Debbie Wasserman Schultz did vote for the Patriot Act. Yes, she did. She voted for a lot of things that would shock the hell out of you guys, but it never gets talked about. The reality is that's something that most of them did vote for. And let's not forget that Obama let it let it renew. So we can't. You You know who didn't you know who didn't vote for the Patriot Act, ladies and gentlemen? Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. You know who else didn't vote for it? Ram Paul. So, unfortunately, yeah. uh, we have to recognize that there are certain people who vote certain ways in politics. That is, uh, yes, it is an option, Negrani, but it's not the only option. This involves multiple layers of things that we need to do. Why can't people see it like this? Like if you're going to build a house, right, you don't just use one tool. You're not going to build an entire house with a hammer. But yet with electoral politics, if it doesn't achieve everything you want it to achieve, then it must be useless. And I just I, I it's very frustrating because all of these things need to be happening in concert together. We Correct. need people on the outside pushing the people on the inside and having their back so that they can stand up to the establishment once they are inside. And yet there's there's going to be people that just fall in line when they get there. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We've but a said, lot of those people very well might be sleeping giants if the right person were to get in there and rally those people who are on the right side of policy, but just really don't have the balls to fight and they don't have the numbers yet. So, I mean, I, I just, I think that, you know, it's very easy for people to sit on the outside and say, well, I would do this, this, and this, <clears throat> and that's all good. And, and maybe you would do those things, but there still aren't the numbers to really move the needle yet. So not everybody is willing to put their neck out there when they know they don't have the numbers. So let's see what happens if they ever can get the numbers. I think a lot of those people might stand up. I think they will. And I think, again, this is where the whole labor movement becomes such a critical part of this whole process. You can't have one without the other. 
And very often uh, we forget that there are motivating factors for a lot of people. You know, like I said, one of the reasons why Surfside has gone by the wayside. Sorry, I have to use that one. That's terrible. Uh, yeah, well, it worked. Uh, you know, Surfside is a wealthier community and it's not what you would call an active community. It's not a community where people are struggling to live. There are a lot of other ones, though, that are. And a lot of people are getting a lot more involved in ways that they need to. But I got to tell you, I still think one of the biggest reasons why you don't have more and more activism, kind of like with the Progressive Caucus, it's part of the Democratic Party. It's not that we don't, we're not in the Democratic Party, we are, but there is a difference between supporting the cause and supporting candidates versus supporting the party infrastructure, which is completely dead. Like It's dead. And... The only thing that really matters, and Kyle Kalinske pointed this out today in his video regarding uh, the abysmal, abysmal interview of Vice President Harris, is that it's just a party of consultants looking to make money. They have no real concern about policy. They figured out the grift. They figured out the party was completely captured by Wall Street. And it was just a matter of time before people ultimately decide that, yeah, this is how we're going to do it. You know, we'll, we'll do it for as long as we can until eventually we run out of real estate. So Maybe. Alex, a couple of things. The collapse of the building in Surfside, was it brought on by the effects of sea level rise? Um, not, not specifically sea level rise, but seawater and salt in the air and salt around it and not proper built infrastructure that corroded the concrete and then got into the rebar and the iron and then... Uh, also, what Eliana was talking about, where they built too close, they built closer to it, which probably facilitated like, you know, whatever instability. And there were a lot of problems, but um, it wasn't just, oh, it was a sea level rise. And it's it's not that cause and effect, but it definitely is connected to the salt water. As we often like to do, because we have to plug, we have no choice. We are somewhat gratuitous, but it's because we love you guys and we know you appreciate what we do. If you appreciate us just a little bit more, you can go to patreon.com forward slash generational change. For as little as $5 a month, you can become part of the generational change family. Shout out to Jan Barry, who is our new Patreon. Um, like, Did you update that or do you need me to? What, what, I, I, went, I scrolled them earlier, but she, Okay, yeah. awesome. Another $5. Hey, everything, $5. It adds up. Oh, but um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about is somebody that oh Alex also said something interesting about the party infrastructure is geared towards the Clinton machine. No, 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 no. The party infrastructure is the Clinton machine. It is like, that that they that's the same difference. Just saying. I think the unfortunate part of it, Negrani, regarding the progressives and Nina Turner. And yes, I will not say when, but Nina Turner will be coming back on the podcast soon. Um, they will not endorse against incumbents. And that's been painfully clear. Nope. So even if so, even if there's a possibility that Jen will run against Wasserman Schultz in 24, no one is going to endorse her. That's a federally elected representative. It's not going to happen. And you just have to even somebody as terrible as Debbie. You have to accept the fact that the courage and remember, what was Jen's tagline when she ran the first time? A time for courage. Well, it is a time for courage, and we need more people to be courageous about those decisions. Now, 
Is it entirely possible that if Jen runs again and we raise, let's say, at least a million dollars and we do at least one major poll that shows her within striking distance, do I think that there is a realistic chance that some people will come out and put and, and, and give her maybe the extra effort that's needed to put her over the top? That would be a circumstance in the summer of 24 that would be possible, but it's not a guarantee. And I don't so, see it happening. I, I honestly don't. The only times that we've ever even seen um, progressive Congress people endorsing against an incumbent is when it's been an anti-choice incumbent. Yeah, that's true. Otherwise, they do not endorse in uh, you know filled seats. They're just well, what about a, what about an insider trading pro-war incumbent? I mean, doesn't that count for anything? Oh, I'm sorry, that's basically most of Congress. I should run a guerrilla campaign. We basically did run a guerrilla campaign. Got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and yeah, no, I, but the difference is, is that I don't care about those people's endorsements because it's not, that's not why we're doing what we're doing. In fact, the kind of people that would have to endorse us to get the attention of the, basically the establishment dem tools in our area are people that I wouldn't want endorsements from. Thank you, TM. You know, if you become a patron, that makes it a little bit easier because it at least gives you the opportunity for us to continue building our infrastructure here locally. You know, that's what it's I would tell you. This is part of that. Everything we do is part of that. When we talk about our interest in supporting labor, that's all connected to what we're trying to do is build a really big coalition to support regular people. And for those of you who are curious, and again, we always like to point this out, the biggest impediment to Jen beating Debbie is not Debbie. The biggest impediment to Jen beating Debbie is a man by the name of Dan Reynolds. He is the head of the Broward County AFL-CIO, and they control all of the labor unions within the district. And I mean all of them. And we're talking thousands of voters. It is a huge block. It really makes a huge difference. But people have to be aware that if we do this again, we are not there will be this will be no holds barred. This will not be friendly. This is going to be very direct that we are going to make a lot of enemies a lot more this time around because there's going to be something to be said about the fact that the infrastructure within the Democratic Party in South Florida is why the GOP has completely taken over the state. It shouldn't be that way. But it is that way. Something as simple as Alan Ellison running for the U.S. Congress in Florida's 23rd, the new 23rd Congressional District. He was attempting to go to a meeting the other night to speak as part of the Coconut Creek Democratic Club. And guess what? The head of that club, Greg Kale, who is a businessman in South Florida and connected to the Democratic Party, only wanted Ben Sorensen and Jared Mouskowitz to speak at that meeting. Didn't want Alan Ellison. Hey, if you want to call him racist, call him that. I don't give a damn. Unfortunately, he's black too. Doesn't matter. This is local politics run amok and corrupt. And it's only getting worse because, again, why is it so bad? Why is it so bad? Why is it so hopeless in so many ways? Because we as Americans are not involved politically the way we need to be. That's a big part of it. Especially locally. People just don't get involved. Scat, you're going to get put in timeout, man. Don't talk crap about the guests. Yeah, really, dude. You're pushing it. Yeah. <laughs> if everybody it's was like, involved. You guys want to say crap about me, that's one thing. But it's really embarrassing when we have guests on and you guys act like you're like a second grade classroom. And I feel like it's just it's embarrassing. 
to think that we used to get 70, 75% voter turnout in major elections. When was that? When was that? Decades and decades ago. No, not not in my lifetime. Not in my lifetime. Mm. I don't know when that was. Not in, no. Probably since like, probably since like 68, I guess. Yeah, somewhere around there. That's true, Roger. Very true. We do. And, and, and this is something that was interesting when we were talking with Andre the other day about, you know, the importance of doing the ballot initiative route simultaneously as trying to, you know, push the legislature to do it as well. And all states that have the possibility of doing ballot initiatives, it's definitely the smarter strategy. It's just another version of an inside outside strategy working at the same time. Negrani, there's also one more element that I think people need to understand. And yes, I am an all-American white, straight male, but I will say this, and this is something people need to understand. Um, there is an unwritten rule in the black community that you do not run against black incumbents. That is just in the Democratic Party. You do not do that. And, and yeah, you know what? But what, it, it isn't just black. Yes, I understand what you're saying, like that that is definitely there. They will not cross in the but, Democratic Party that you don't run against income. Yes, but it gets taken to another level when you get the Black Caucus involved. And let me tell you, if you think that it can't make a difference in a in, in a in a in a two Jewish lady uh, campaign, here's what I would tell you. Very simple. When Jen ran and got the endorsement of the Broward Black Caucus, the Democratic Party Black Caucus of Broward, less than 24 hours later, Debbie had the endorsement of the Congressional Black Caucus. Of course. The endorsements are such bullshit because all it is is it's just like a pissing contest that you'll, you're not going to win. <laughs> it's, it's just such, it's just, yeah. You're damn, you're damn right, Nina's fantastic. Yes, she is. And that's the bottom line. So with that said, we really appreciate you guys coming in this evening. So we don't, do we have something very specifically already set up on Monday? No, there is nothing for Monday. Monday is the 4th of July. So we will. I'm sorry, Tuesday. Yes, we will be at a Tuesday afternoon, 12 noon. It'll be an early start time. We will have State Senator Gustavo Rivera, and we will also have the Vanguard guys. And then on Wednesday, we are going to have State Senate candidate Nomiki Konst. It will be an interesting conversation. We want to give her the opportunity to speak. Uh, I know a lot of people have been hard on her about her decision. Uh, listen, everyone has political opportunism if they are going to run for office, especially state Senate in New York. But she has every right to run and she has every right to make her case. Perhaps our friend Walker Bragman, who's on our campaign, will join us as well. Scat, if you're not nice when there's guests on, I'm not going to let you come in. Be it's, nice not, it's not like we're going to highlight those comments. No, but, but they can still see them. Yeah, it's what it is. Embarrassing. People, get it together over there. So with that said, we appreciate you guys. Hope you're all well. Thank you so much for the wonderful support. Maybe we'll get lucky and have another patron uh, when we come to the show. Hope you all have a wonderful Independence Day. It's still my favorite holiday. Um, It's free speech. No, it's not free speech. It's not. This is our channel. And we don't have to tolerate people being mean to my guests. It doesn't mean you can't put that speech out there somewhere else. You're free to do that. You could buy an ad or something, but I'm not going to platform it. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's that's not. my thoughts. Well, like I said, uh, the chat can say whatever they want. They will not get it highlighted on our show, especially if it's not nice. <laughs> well, Scott, if we could, then we would. But we're not that rich yet, but you never know. We'll see you all Tuesday. Have a great fourth. See you soon. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.